Carter is known by many as being the Hall of Fame basketball coach of the Taylor County, Georgia Lady Vikings, who won 132 straight basketball games and five straight state championships from 1967 to 1972. You just don't win 132 straight games of anything with a changing cast of players over six years without being very good as a coach. Norman Carter, the coach, made a huge impact in the lives of the girls who played for him, who learned from him, and who interacted with him almost daily during the most formative years of their lives. These girls are now senior citizens, and today, in some cases, some 56 years later, they still worship the ground he walks on. But you also learn there's much more to Norman Carter than basketball. His career as the superintendent of schools during the most tumultuous times in our state's history is a testament to his ability to lead and to get things done when it was not easy to do so. He later continued his career as a major influencer in leadership positions with the state of Georgia's school system. You will also learn Norman Carter ruled with an iron hand, but served with a golden heart. In 1996, Norman founded an organization called the Golden Rule. He borrowed personal money to purchase land to provide a place for the treatment and care for girls who were in the throes of addiction and at the end of their rope. Almost 28 years later, the facility is still thriving and is now led by a lady who originally landed at Norman's feet there many years ago, just out of jail. The coach is quick to say that his own life could have gone in any direction. He was raised by his grandmother with absentee parents. As a result, he grew up with a chip on his shoulder and an attitude. But he is living proof one can make something of themselves, no matter the circumstances of life. And he knew those in his care had the potential to do the same. At 85 years of age now, Norman is mostly proud of the life he had with the love of his life he met in college and married in 1960. Jane Clements Carter passed away in 2019. Norman gives Jane much credit for his success and frankly says he never would have made it without her. When you hear his story, I think you will agree. He is also extremely proud of his two children five grandchildren, and now a great-grandchild who now consumes his life. Coming in a close second for his source of pride are those Lady Vikings. Not for just what they accomplished on the basketball court, although he's proud of them for that, but rather more what they accomplished in life. And also the pride and gratitude he has for the girls who found hope and a new life through the Golden Rule. During this conversation, you will hear him referring to Mark and Bunny a few times. Mark and Bunny Harris were in the room with him in Carrollton, Georgia, where he now lives, and listening in to help facilitate this interview, although it turned out he didn't need much facilitating. It should be noted this couple has the distinction of being the only married couple who both won state basketball championships under Norman Carter. As Mark laughingly says, they have six championships between them. Bunny has five, 
Mark has one. Also, interestingly, just as we were discussing the impact Norman Carter had on the girls he coached, my wife, who was on this team for three of those six years, walked in the room where I was recording at just the perfect time and was able to tell her coach and lifelong friend what he has meant to her. When she speaks, I can assure you she speaks for everyone who had any part of those teams. So for those who do not know him, I am happy to introduce you to an amazing coach and even more amazing human being, Norman Carter. For those who know him well, I am quite sure you have a little smile on your face and are nodding your heads as you wait to hear that very familiar voice. Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker. This is Bruce Goddard, and you're listening to the View from a Hearse podcast. Man, I've got a great guest today. Coach Norman Carter is talking to me, and folks, You just heard a little bit about his story from what I just said. But, Coach Carter, thank you so much for being on here. You're honoring me by just letting me have a conversation with you today. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Well, I'm honored to do it. I want to start with let's talk about 132 consecutive wins with this girls' basketball team that's absolutely incredible. I looked that up. There were two schools – that were like in the 30s and 40s that had that had more consecutive wins when you did that, and now a couple of more have come on. But those back when you did that, it was unheard of. But just talk about what it took, some basic ingredients to creating such success on a basketball court. Just talk about that. Well, I will tell you what I said when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I was a pretty good coach, but I was a better judge of character. Yeah, you were that, but you were definitely both of those things, but you also were a more than a pretty good coach. You know that, right? <laughs> well, I happened to be at the right place at the right time. I had some outstanding young women that were not only great athletes, but they were, they were highly intelligent. They could follow instructions. As I said, they were of high character, and uh, they were the type that would listen and learn, well, and that is so critical. Well, they, they did it, but let's, let's be real. You, I, I think I saw you, you also you coach boys as well. You have a record of 350 wins and 21 losses as a basketball coach. That's a almost 92% winning percentage, which is a state record. You had wonderful girls, uh, but you also, let's, let's give credit where credit is due, you also had figured out how to coach basketball too. I can tell you, that couldn't have come as an accident. Let me just start by saying that I think the key to our success can be summarized in one word, simulation. Everything we did was simulated. When Bunny and the girls practiced shooting, I had somebody down there with a hand in their face. So they learned to shoot with somebody in front of them, which is, to me, simulation. That's where it's going to be in a game. What I would do, if they played the pivot, I'd have a tall girl down there guarding her and make her shoot over her. 
they learn how to fake, how to deceive their shot because, you know, you're the only one that knows when you're going in the air. You've got to make that decision. And the ones that catch it, turn around and shoot it, the defense can time it. But if you know how to hesitate, and also the thing that Bunny was so good at, and so was Sissy and Shirley, drawing a foul. Bunny shot as many as 22 or three free throws in a game because a girl will hold her hand up out parallel. And when she does, I said attack the arm. Get the ball on on your right hand, go up, hit the arm, and go on through and shoot it. Not many people knew how to do that. You also taught them all to use both hands. I remember watching them. They could go left or right. Uh, Oh, yeah. You you made them blindfold them, dribbling left-handed. I mean, there was so much involved in what you did. I mean, if if there's coaches listening to this, you need to pull up a chair and just listen to a little bit of what you're going to hear today. And and it's also – intertwined with all this are such amazing life lessons because before we get on i want to hear more about this team and and from 1967 to 1972 that was a lot of turnover during those years you had to get regroup reload uh, a lot goes into all that but i want to get to your story i i knew i know you grew up in tobleton georgia little bitty town talbot county georgia you had great parents and talk about growing up and and how your parents impacted you and how you became who you are let me correct you on the parent issue my folks my mother left me when i was two years old oh wow she ran off with another man i didn't know that my daddy was a romeo he stayed gone all the time my grandmother raised me how about that how about that if it hadn't been for her, I'd probably be at Alcatraz to sing sing right now. <laughs> I never knew. That's why we have these conversations. So, so how did you get? How did you get this competitive spirit? How did you get into athletics? Being raised by your grandmama. Back when I was a kid, it was a disgrace to have a divorce in your family. Must let your mama run off and leave you. So I grew up with a very negative attitude. I was. Real, real, I don't know, antagonistic about everything. But uh, when I was about nine years old, I went to a camp, and the first time I'd ever played basketball. And so when I got back, I talked to my grandmother, and we built a goal in the backyard. And so that's how I started. And uh, she uh, had me ready for school when I was five years old. So I went to school at six. And they moved me from the first grade to the third grade. So I wasn't but 16 years old when I graduated from high school. You had a scholarship to Clemson. Is that right? Did I understand? I had a scholarship, had a scholarship to Clemson. Went to Clemson for two years. Uh, it was during the time when the Korean War had just ended. And uh, for a soon-to-be 17-year-old, those 22- or 3-year-old veterans, did not make life easy because sure. they had been through experiences and things that being a country boy, I'd never heard of before. But anyhow, I played well. I uh, managed to start on the freshman team and was a leading scorer, I think, if I remember correctly. Had a good year. And then when I went back the next year, they had hired a new coach. The gentleman's name, he was from high school in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. And his name happened to have been Press Maravich. 
gosh, I never knew that. You got to be kidding. No, sir. This was his first coaching job on a, on a college level. And I know he was nervous and inexperienced, but he brought down about four thugs with him from McKesson. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, they were from a different world than I was. And, uh, he basically, I felt like I could shoot better than anybody there, but I really didn't feel like I got a fair opportunity. So I played part of the year and finally I decided this is not for me. By the way, those guys stole my billfold out of the locker room. <laughs> well, folks, let me put a comma there for you listening. Press Maverick was the father of Pete Maverick. And if you don't know who Pete Maverick is, Google him. He turned out to be a pretty good basketball player. So that's why I was laughing when he said Well, Press let me Maravich. tell you this about, about Pete, Bruce. Used to, they didn't have but two theaters in Clemson at that time. And one of them was in an old building. The other one was pretty nice. We would go to the picture show, as we call it back then, and we hit this thump, thump, thump coming down the aisle. And Pete was nine years old, and he was dribbling his basketball down the aisle to go to the movie. <laughs> you know, I, I think that was depicted in that movie they did for him, wasn't it? Didn't it, I may, it may have been. Yeah. <laughs> but press lasted about, I don't know, Press lasted about three or four years, and then he went to NC State, and Raleigh, and Raleigh is where Pete made his mark. And uh, then LSU offered him the job if he'd bring Pete with him. So that's where he ended up coaching. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So you went to, to Mercer. I called Mercer when I, in about uh, January. And, of course, my daddy was raising cane because he was going to have to start paying for me going to school. But I really didn't care. I had to get out of there. I couldn't take it any longer. And so I talked to uh, the coach at that time was Jim Cowan, but Bobby Wilder was going to take over. So I talked to them, and they told me they'd give me an opportunity. So that's how I got to Mercer. And you ended up being leading scorer in Mercer for the rest of your time there, ended up in the Mercer Hall of Fame. You had a great career at Mercer for sure. And then you ended up graduating and you came back to Butler, Georgia. How did that happen? There may have been something between that. There's, a, there's an interesting story there, too. I got accepted to medical school. I went to medical school, and all I had to do is smell that cadaver one time. <laughs> and that finished my medical career. <laughs> you needed me with you. I could have handled that. I came back home and enrolled at Mercer that summer. And uh, that's when I met my wife. So I stayed at Mercer and graduated from Mercer. And then I went to, there was a guy that got accepted to med school from Mercer to the University of Tennessee. He was teaching physics at Columbus High School. Hmm. So I was graduating in March. And so that job came open. So I went to Columbus High School and taught physics for three months before I came to Taylor County to Butler. And uh, I had two students one of them went to Caltech, and the other one went to MIT. 
And I had to have a little conference with them to tell them, now, don't embarrass me when it comes to physics. <laughs> they were real nice about it. So that's how I ended up in, in Mac Marshman offered me a job, and I decided to take it. And uh, Jane was happy because she likes small towns. So that's how we ended up in Bow. Did you come to Butler as a principal, or did you teach before you became the principal? No, I was, I was, a, I was a teacher, basketball coach, girls and boys, B-team, baseball coach, and tennis coach. Did you grow up playing, because I know Trey went on to have a great college tennis career. Did you grow up playing other sports besides basketball? Did you play tennis? I made the all-star team in baseball and basketball back then, north versus south. Right. And I also won the state championship in tennis three straight years. So you were just an athlete, period. Basketball was just one yeah, of those I things. Was, I was blessed. Yeah, there's no question about it. I, I remember after I got married and moved back, to, we used to have those pickup basketball games in Butler. And Heck, I don't know how old you were, but – you were a lot older than us, and you could play with any of us. I can tell you that. We were a lot younger, that's for sure. That was well, I always enjoyed playing, and I knew that the only thing that I, that I tell Bruce, I'm good at three things, and that's it. I'm good at coaching basketball. I know how to get along with people, and I know how to handle the public money, and that's it. I don't want to know anything else. That, that fills my brain. You have the receipts for being that very good at all three of those. That is for sure. Folks, he, he started, and you can tell the story. You, you became principal. You, were, you won. How many state titles did you win total with the boys and girls, Coach? We won seven, and I coached in 11 years. I actually coached 12 years, but we won the seven championships in the last 11 years, and we had one runner-up. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't know if any coach that can say that, and maybe there are, but I, I certainly have not known them. At one point, you had the, the winning streak going, and you became superintendent of schools, and you asked them, they knew that was a full-time job, can I, can I keep coaching while I'm superintendent until we lose a game, right? Is, am I right on that? You're exactly right. Yeah, so they, they let you keep coaching, but that lasted several more years, right? Three more years. And superintendent of schools and coaching basketball. And one of the things, when we talk about state titles that I've heard from several of the ladies that used to be girls that you coached, that your your focus on winning was more about the state championships than it was about keeping the record go going. I know there was, a, there was a reason behind that. Every year we had three goals. The first was to win the state championship. The second was to win the Tri-County Tournament. And the third was not to lose the game. And the reason we were in that order is because I did not want the, pop, the top to come off if we lost the game. Right. So that's the way we said it every year. Our goals were those in that order. And you prove that out, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but the, I see it, and I've told Bunny this several times, it, I think one of the greatest accomplishments was – when you finally did lose in 1972, after all of that, you still won the state championship. And that, that's, that says all you need to know about this basketball team and the leadership you provided. That was incredible. And I think it had to do with, with the fact that that was their mindset. That was their number one goal to win the state, although they were let down. 
they kept playing basketball. And well, I'll tell you something you probably didn't know. I had one basketball player to write to Macon Telegraph and tell them that even though we lost, we were going to win the state championship. I'll let you guess who that was. I can I can imagine that the lady I started in the first grade with named Bunny, right? You're exactly right. <laughs> I didn't I know didn't that. I didn't know about the letter until somebody <laughs> told me. That is funny. So the other thing that happened that where you had to – you had you talking about getting along with people. One of the three things you had to do, you were tested big time because you know right in the middle of that streak is the the most challenging times in school history when integration took place. And now your basketball teams, I, I feel like, and maybe you can tell me different. You were able to use that as a way to bring the community together that was very divided on both sides. I mean, I don't think the the blacks wanted to come to be integrated in any more than the whites did, but you brought them together. You had some great athletes on the team. And talk about that a little bit, because that was that was amazing time in history. I lived through that as well. When we integrated, the first thing I did, as soon as I got everything else straightened out, I had several death threats and all that, but you, that's another day. I called the black girls together, and I told them, I said, look, I know y'all have heard horrible things about me, but if you'll just come out here and do the best you can, I will promise you that you will be treated exactly like everybody else, no different. And they came out, and I think they were very brave in doing so because they had to buck a lot of their own community who did not want them to play for me. Right. And uh, the first game that we had that was integrated, we played Marion County. Mm -hmm. Shirley Durham, Shirley Troutman now, turned her ankle. The crowd had been buzzing. You couldn't tell what they were going to do. So I walked out on that court, picked her up, and carried her over to the bench and tape that ankle. And then I just trying to make a statement of solidarity. Right. This is the way we're going to be. And I never had any trouble after that. You taped it personally, right? Right. I did it myself. I taped every ankle personally. Did you really? Yep. I wasn't taking any chances with somebody else doing it. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, you know, we didn't have any depth. Right. Was to say anything. Right. And uh, if something happened to Bunny or Sandra, we never would have had this street, but they never missed a game, which is commendable to me and tells you what kind of people they are. No doubt. I mean, how do you even think about that? Going through that whole without some of these major players getting injured is crazy. It's got a lot to do with the training that you were having them do as well. So there were some of the black girls that played on the team that turned out to be outstanding players, and the truth is you wouldn't have won it without them either. They they majorly contributed. To As I team. said when they had the reunion 35 years ago, I said, y'all are a profile in courage. They came over there. They played. They had great attitudes. Four of them at, at several times started, and there wasn't anybody else but Bunny and Sandra on the floor. Right. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, Bunny and Sandra took it great. There never was any problem there. Bunny and Shirley got to be good friends. And uh, so, and another thing, we didn't ride the bus. Right. We carried them in cars. Well, let me tell you what's funny. And so you can answer this question. But I was in like a senior in high school when Kathy was a junior. And I remember driving the Underwood van, taking Taylor County high school girls way up to Carrollton or somewhere to play basketball. I can't imagine you allow, maybe you didn't know it, but allowing a high school senior boyfriend to one of the players to drive the team up there. But I remember doing it a couple of times. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If I'd have known it, you'd be in a peck of trouble. <laughs> That's what I figured. I think that may have been right after Kathy's daddy passed away, and or she. Well, now that might have been an exception because Kathy, Kathy had a hard time for a while after after Ralph passed. Ralph was one of my best friends. He helped me get elected superintendent. Well, that was a rough time, but I don't, I don't. Bruce, so, yes. you are a pretty honorable person. He trusted you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think he didn't know it, but I was. I look back on. It, I didn't think nothing about it back then. He knew everything. Yeah. <laughs> But but I didn't think anything then. I look back on it and think I wouldn't let Bruce Goddard take my girls to a basketball game when he's 17 years old or whatever. I was. Well, in spite of what Bonnie says, I think I'm right. You know, <laughs> any high school kid, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. When we were up there one time, I caught Alan and Wayne in the room with some of the girls. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that now. And I banished them. I mean, <laughs> I jumped all over them. <laughs> oh. If I could have done any more than that, I probably would have. <laughs> hilarious. There's no telling the stuff you were dealing with with all those girls and guys. And, oh, my gosh. You started running this basketball camp that got to be – I mean, you can talk to – girls all over the state that that went to Norman Carter basketball school and camp. Talk, talk a little bit about how that came about. You be, you were able to develop girls from all over the state playing basketball. I had over a 25-year period, I had 12,000 girls at basketball camp. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. What I did was, after we finished 1971, I decided I was going to try to try to do it. I just never done it before, and everybody says, "Are you crazy? It won't work." Because it's going to be a fundamental camp. It wasn't a team camp, and so I got, I think, Bunny and Sandra, and maybe Sissy and Judy. We went to Tilt College the first year, and we had seventy-five girls each. Had two weeks. Had seventy-five girls. The next year, we had over 700 applications because that was the fact that Bunny and them were so nice and knew what to do. And I had some, I knew what coaches I wanted. So I've got coaches that had won a state championship. If you didn't win a state championship, I didn't want to use you. <laughs> and uh, it just mushroomed from there. What happened, I think that your players, like Bunny and Sissy, Judy, or whoever was at the camp, helping got to know all these other players from all over the state so there was a lot of lot of lot going on through all that besides just yeah basketball. they were very respected by the other players oh, i'm that's sure very important i'm sure they were i'm sure they were so after you and we're going to come back to this streak so just hold on but after you retired from being superintendent of schools you had a second career talk a little bit about that because i want to establish what all you did in your career well, I started off as a regional director for the state for one year. Zell Miller decided that 
one or two of them are taking advantage of it. You know, when you work on your own, it's easy to get lax and everything. <clears throat> so they eliminated us, and I went to the RISA in uh, Americas because they knew all the superintendents. And they hired me down there, and I was a administrative consultant. In other words, I talked to all the superintendents and called them, see how things were going and all that sort of stuff. Right. So about five or six years later, they made me the director, and I stayed down there until I was 78 or 79, I forget which. Right, but uh, I had a it was a it was a great time down there. I had a great board. All the superintendents were on the board, right. and I never had a negative vote while I was down there. Out of fourteen superintendents, well, it just says besides the basketball, you had a you your leadership abilities carried over into everything you've ever done, and I think that's important. People know you as the basketball coach, but there's not a lot more to Norman Carter than just a basketball coach, although I don't know many that had more success than you did as a basketball coach. Well, the thing coach. about it was if somebody called me, if a superintendent called me, I was going to call them back immediately. Right. And uh, they appreciated that, and they knew if they needed me, I was there, and it wasn't going to be a day or two before I got them back. Tell them the story about the ditch. <laughs> Bruce, you weren't getting into the bunny said to tell you the story about when I slipped into the ditch. Well, I'll tell you right quick. We went to the Hall of Fame banquet, Jane and I did several years after I was inducted. Well, we were coming back home and I was supposed to come to Carrollton and go with Trey and his boys to see LeBron James play. Well, it started, we spent the night and we got up, everything was blanketed with snow. I remember you remember this, you had to. <laughs> We started home, and every 100 yards, we saw a car off the road. It slid off or something. So I finally got to Woodbury, had to go through Thomason, finally got to Woodbury, turned left to go to Manchester, got to Manchester, couldn't get through Manchester, slid in a ditch. <laughs> I had just had bank, back surgery. So I got out of the car, and I was going to see what I could do, and my feet went out from under me. <laughs> By the time that happened, the phone called, and it was Wayne. Hey, are we having school tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I got three phone calls flat on my back before I was able to finally get up. We had some good Samaritans come by and help us get out, and we got home okay. So, folks, that Wayne was the same Wayne. He talked about him and his brother that were messing with the girls, and that same Wayne became the superintendent of schools after Norman retired. Just to put that in perspective, uh, these relationships are incredible. They go back a long time. Coach, later in life, Gosh, this has been, I think, was it 1995? You founded the Golden Rule for Women in Addiction. Talk a little bit about that and how that came about. Well, I don't know if you know it or not, but I'm not ashamed of it. Both my children have had drug problems. Trey has been sober for 31 years. Kathy had been sober probably about 8 or 10. Me and the Lord had a long talk about this. And basically, I just said, if you'll help me get through this, I promise you I will try to do something worthwhile. So that's really how it started. <laughs> how many girls have been through that? They're still going on. 
And uh, it, it's still there and still there's no telling how many people have been through that. Bruce, I'm going to give you an estimate, but my guess would be about 2,200. 2,200, I'm guessing that I'm close. And it's still going. It's still going today. Still going. Harry is running it, doing a great job. When you started that, you think it would still be going on 27, 28 years later? Nobody believed I could start it except me. I took Evan Bergamy, Johnny Baysmore, and, uh, of course, Jane, and we went out to a place called the Hawthorne House in uh, Irwin County. So I went out, and I found 30 acres of land. The guy that I bought it from is now on the Flint Board of Directors, by the way. We started with that, and I went to the bank and borrowed the money, told everybody what I was going to do. It just worked out. I really don't know how or why. Harriet came to me from jail, by the way. Right, and she's run, and, uh, she's been running it for years, right? About 22 or 3 years, and that was the biggest blessing I ever had because it's hard to find somebody in recovery that stays in recovery. Right. That's for a sure. tough, tough job. For sure, for sure. So so you mentioned Jane. Talk about her. She was your partner, married for years. She died a few years ago, but uh, you guys had a great relationship. Just talk a little bit about Jane. Jane was my rock and my salvation. I'm the one that that, that, that is somewhat insecure. Jane was steady as a rock. She got me through both the children and what happened to them. She was always there when I needed her. She, she taught for 30 years and never once mentioned anything that went on at school, which is highly irregular. Right. And uh, she was just the, the best I could have ever done. Just so everybody knows, Trey, you mentioned, has been sober, whatever, clean, 30-something years. He, he, he is in this business of the rehabilitation drug and alcohol rehabilitation business big time. And just mention that because I think it's part of your story. I know Kathy and Trey make you very proud. In my mind, they are heroes for overcoming it because most people don't overcome it. They did. And they're still doing it. And I know you're proud of them. Let me tell you what Trey did. When he got out of treatment, he worked. He went to work for books a million for $5.25 an hour. He stayed there because he felt like he could stay sober there. Then he went to Georgia Southern and got his master's degree in counseling. Then he was offered a job in Carrollton, which he took. Then after that, he went back to Anchor as the CEO of the place where he had been in treatment. And then he started his own business, and uh, he's done extremely well. And uh, you know, he's got five children, and knock on wood, because you don't never know. But so far, so good. I know you're having fun with those grandchildren. I've seen pictures and all of that. But you got to mention because the athletics Trey was also an outstanding tennis player at the University of Georgia. I mean, he was big time, and I know there's no telling how many hours you spent with him playing tennis and pushing him because you saw the potential in him, right? Yeah, he was He was not – he wasn't quick enough or big enough to play basketball. I didn't see any chance for baseball. We couldn't play golf because, you know, we couldn't play every day. So I started him in tennis and started him with a guy at Callaway Gardens. And so he we worked at it hard. His mama went with him in the summer when I was at basketball camp. And so <clears throat> he's come a long way. Well, he's done well. Yeah, he, he, he made he played on some big time tennis 
teams for the University of Georgia. That is for sure. And he he, he was McGill's last captain. Yep, yep. Dan McGill, legendary tennis coach, amazing. So let, let's go back and talk about this basketball run. And one of the things I've heard my wife talk about, and I guarantee you all these girls talk about, they loved you, but they were also had a healthy fear of you. To talk about your philosophy, my wife, you were like her second daddy, and and she's got more respect for you than I think any man she's ever known in her life outside of her immediate family. But she was also she was afraid of you. These girls, you instilled some fear in them that was very healthy. I think it had a lot to do with the success they had. So talk about that philosophy. Well, I think the fear supersedes the love. Yeah. I think there was more fear than there was love. Some of the love might have come from success, but everybody wanted to be a part, and we involved everybody. You remember I told you I had people guarding them when they shot? Right. Everybody was part of the team, and I don't know if I originated this or not, but I remember when I said it long ago, there is no I in team. Right. The managers were all the ones that ended up were college graduates. One of them was in pharmacy, one of them was in medicine, another one was something. But I got the smartest kids I could find to keep stats and keep the scoreboard because the stats are no good unless you got somebody that knows what they're doing. True, true. So all of those people were high-class, intelligent people, not only the players, not only the starting five, but all the rest of the girls. They were all bought into it let's say and uh <coughs> i had to give them a soul talk every once in a while but it was very rare well they didn't want to disappoint you and you you had to be doing something to put fear in them I, i've I, i've seen some some people that were pretty good coaches but nobody was afraid of them but i think that was part of the part of the ingredients to your success that these these girls wanted to make you successful coach I'm going to hold on just a minute. My, my wife just walked in here, and I want her to say hello to you. You can cut this out, right? Hey, Coach. Hey, well, co hello, young lady. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's so good to hear your voice. Mm. Well, thank you. It's good to hear yours. I still remember you sliding on that Harris County, Harrison County cork. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, I just, I just, I didn't want to interrupt y'all. I just wanted to tell you, hey, and that I love you so very much you'll never know well you know your daddy was instrumental in getting me elected superintendent <laughs> i don't ever want you to forget that i didn't if know it that. hadn't been for him i don't think i'd have got it but i remember when i came to taylor county and you may not remember this i don't but hugh cheek and ralph were running against one another for representative and hugh cheek came down there and matt mims was interviewing and we had the whole county schools and Hugh kept hemming and hawing about what he was going to do. And then she asked Ralph, and he came straight to the point. And Ralph wasn't supposed to win. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I tell you what, other than my daddy that died when I was a junior in high school, you've met the most in my life and it has changed the way my life could have gone. And I just wanted to thank you. I, there's two well, that's people. the highest compliment I can get, honey. <laughs> it really is. There's I want two you to people, know that. There's two people I didn't want to ever, um, you know, 
I wanted to make them proud of me, that I didn't want to disappoint them, and that was my mama, and that was you. Well, I'm proud of you. I thank you. I think you did pretty well with your marriage. <laughs> yeah, Bruce was a close third. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, I'm just real proud of y'all, and y'all have raised three fine boys, and uh, I'm just glad you glad everything worked out like it good. And you're just as pretty as you were when you went in high school. No, wait a minute. You have not seen me. I've seen your picture on on Facebook. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Ooh. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I love you very much. I love you too, darling. <laughs> All right. Wow. You, you got her crying in here, Coach. <laughs> Coach. Well, she's a she's a great girl. I tell you yep. what, she had some tough times, but she made it through, and I think she married pretty well. <laughs> I tell you, I'm I was fortunate. I punted way past my cover she stuck her head in the door and i said come in here and I, i'm on headphones i put the headphones on her so she could hear you talking so i'm, I'm glad she did that so let me, let me go back to something else that i noticed that you did and I, you know I, we established that the state championship was number one goal and winning but not losing was somewhere down on the top three but the invitational tournament was two and then not yeah. losing was three so it was obvious to me and this is what most people miss that you were never afraid to lose because you you kept scheduling games with bigger schools i mean you were playing schools with a lot more students warner robbins and all these bigger schools so you you were never afraid was that intentional did you help set that up the schedule how did all that work well i feel like it a great team needs some challenges along the way. You don't want to go into the state tournament not having some close games. And my goal really was to win the state tournament. <coughs> I had no idea we were going to win 132 straight games. I'll be honest with you, you know, because that could have happened any time. But I wanted to win that state tournament every year, and I felt like that needed to be our first goal. But, yeah, we played Warner Robins, Northside, Perry, all those people, and uh, I think it did us good. We finally lost, but uh, we had some close games. And as a matter of fact, we had a triple overtime game with one of Robbins. Bunny can tell you more about it than I can. I was so scared, I forgot what happened. <laughs> but, you know, my point is this, and you know it, and I've said this many times before, most people play to not lose. And, and that's not only true in basketball, but true in life. Well, what can I do to – keep from losing and some people get up every morning what have i got to do to win and you can't be afraid to lose to win and I, I saw that even as a kid watching what you were doing and i obviously when i get older got older i look back and saw it you were never afraid to lose and i think that's another secret not only your success but a secret to success in life you got to be willing to to lose to be a winner and i, I know you've proven that over the years well, let me tell you this. Just one thing I think you need to know. We worked on strategic situations about a week at least before I was going to play. We were going to play somebody that I thought could beat us. In other words, what do we do if we're two down with 20 seconds to go? What do we do if we're two up with 20 seconds to go? What do we do? When do we file intentionally? So before the games that were like that, I would ask them, I'd say, is there anything you can think of that they can throw at us that we're not ready for? <laughs> and of course, they say, no, sir. So we practice all that kind of thing. So when they got in a tight, like triple overtime game, 
they weren't panicking. They had a plan. You already had planned this out. This is what we do. Right. When it gets we tough, we right? knew exactly what we wanted to do. Now maybe it wouldn't work out like we wanted it to, but I never will forget when we were playing Norman Park and they were one point behind us and holding the ball for the last shot. Well, I called time out. I don't know whether they had the ball with you, but I knew they were getting it. And I told them, I said, we're not going to let them beat us on one stupid shot. I told Patsy right now, I said, Patsy, when you see me stand up over here, and they were backing up, see, they're taking the momentum away from themselves. I said, when you see me stand up, I want you to lunge at the girl with the ball. And hopefully don't hit her now, just lunge at her. And she did, and the girl dropped the ball and went out of bounds. <laughs> so we went out, and Bunny hit two free throws, and we won the ball game. That's the kind of stuff that we practiced. You practice those situations, but you also oh. you also practice fundamental basketball. That yeah, I think you know. I watch a little bit of basketball now. I'm sure you do, and you see, you wonder if people are coaching what you coached back then. I know their coaches listen to this. What did you, what did you see as the key fundamentals that you were you were stressing to these girls through the years? When Bunny came to me, she was shooting a hook shot one way. Well, you can't do that because what you're doing is you're telling everybody where you're going. So the first thing we did, and she caught on just as quick as a snap, I said, you want to catch the ball with both feet when you cut in the pivot. And then you can pivot either way. You can check your guard and then decide which way you want to go. If you're moving and you're laterally on one foot, you don't have any choice. you got to go up and shoot it. She caught on the net. She caught on how to draw a foul. Sissy did the same thing. So how to take know, charging it, fouls? That was my old charge. We used to we used to put down a mat, and we would work on charging fouls. And one other thing I'll tell you, we did that I've never heard of anybody doing since. Free throws are not going to matter until the last few minutes of a game if you're in a tight game. Right. Every time we got through with practice. Bunny knows what I'm going to say. We used to put three on one end and three on the other end. And I tell them, when you hit six in a row as a team, you can go home. Well, that simulates a game because you don't shoot with two in a row in a game. You don't have time to get there and get set and shoot and shoot and shoot. So they had to pull for one another for one thing, which increases morale. And when they hit those six, they could go home and that put pressure on them because they wanted to go home. So we did that, and we did it not all the time, but most of the time. And it was a great teacher and a great morale thing because the rest of the kids had come down and pull for them, you know, and it just cause a cohesiveness that you wouldn't get otherwise. But one of the things I've heard Kathy say watching girls basketball, I can't believe they can't hit a free throw. Do they practice hitting free throws? And then I know Bunny told me one time when she was playing at Georgia, her first practice, I think the manager, she was shooting off to the side, and he went and told the coach, or she went and told the coach, said, you need to look at this girl. She just won tw- She just rang 25 in a row over here shooting free throws. <laughs> and that it came from – these fundamentals you were teaching, free throws, well, getting see, a charge, all those you things. You don't get to plant your feet and shoot them over and over and over. You don't get to shoot with two. So you have to get used to getting your feet ready 
and shooting with some pressure on you. Right. And that's pressure when your teammates are hoping you'll shoot so they can go home. It increased morale, and it taught them to shoot under pressure. Well, one of the things you mentioned that you, you had a knack for recognizing character, but you also had a knack for recognizing talent, and especially basketball talent. What did you look for? And when you get these girls in and – even when the integration took place, what are you looking for that gave you clues to their potential as a, as a basketball player? That's one talent that I have that I can't explain to you. It just comes innately. For instance, with somebody like Bunny, it's easy. Somebody like Mark, it's easy. But Sissy was not that good of an athlete, but she had that character and she wanted to learn and she was willing to listen. And the same way with Judy. Matter of fact, when we played Chase Springs in the state finals, I pulled Judy out of the game and put Sandra in. Sandra could drive to the hole. They were looking for Bunny. They were looking for Sissy. They were not looking for Sandra. So I told Sissy, I said, cut across to the same side Bunny's on and raise your hands like you want the ball. Well, she did, and that guard followed. And I told Sandra, fake the pass and go in and lay it up. Well, Sandra was so quick, she faked the pass, went in, laid up, and we won the game. <laughs> are, are there any games, other games that stick out to you during that during that streak that you you mentioned a triple overtime that you forgot Warner what Robins happened? Robinson's triple overtime. Uh, Greenville almost beat us because of the officiating one time. Bunny fouled out. Shirley fouled out. Did you find that happening? That you'd think you would be a target and – the referees, whether intentionally or unintentionally, were kind of trying to help the other team give well, them a well, chance. Let me, tell you what I, let me tell you what I did after the ball game. We stopped at Flintside coming home. I called a secretary of the Georgia High School Association <laughs> named Bill Fordham. Yep. I said, Mr. Fordham, I know you live in Thomaston. Would you do me a great favor and come to the game tomorrow night. We're playing, and I would sure like for you to see us play, and I'd like to speak to you. Never mention the referees. He showed up. They saw him, and it was a different bunch of referees. <laughs> That's great. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So talk about the when you finally lost, and you and Perry, and these girls – Good athletes, good as basketball player. They were still young girls, and they were shook up. There was a lot of crying in the room. And how did you handle that? How, how did you handle that situation? 132 I, straight games. Bunny and Sandra, for two, had never lost a game in their life, not even junior high school. How did you handle that? Just talk a little bit about the philosophy there. I got permission to go in the locker room with them. I sat them down. I said, listen, we won like champions. We're going to lose like champions. I want you to go over there to the prayer dressing room and congratulate them. And that's what we did. Wow. Wow. And it was the right thing to do. Incredibly, we've already said it, but you went on that year to win another state championship. That had to be to get them over that hump after that emotional night 
to get them going again and win a station. I think you lost another game that year or two, maybe, but you won the yeah, state, that right? Was, that one was one of them was my fault. That was the one we lost to Harrison County because I had to go to a special education meeting at the state board of education. So they kept me up there too long, and I got back too late, and the girls were worried about me, and it just threw everything out of whack. Right. And so we lost that game that we never should have lost. We went ahead and beat them four times that year. But that one was on me. The other one was Warner Robbins, and I think we were still – I don't know what happened there. They beat us badly, but they beat us. Well, you 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 went on to win it again, and that says something. There's one story i got to get you to tell. And our friend Harold Helms. We were playing the region tier tournament in Talbot County for some reason, and the other team was holding the ball on us. Well, I always had a saying about holding the ball. I said, girls, they can hold it, but they can't hide it. <laughs> so let's get out there after them, and we will take them. Well, we had sort of a slow first half. We went in the third quarter, and it was still fairly tight. All of a sudden, some guy comes running out of the coach's office and says, you got an emergency phone call. So I got back there, and I said, hello. This is Harold Helms. Uh, what do I need to set the temperature down here for tomorrow for the school? I said, Harold, what in the hell are you doing? I got a ball game here I'm trying to win. Set the thing any way you want to set it. <laughs> You're in the middle of a state champion, I mean, a state record, a national record, and everything else mm-hmm. at that time, and you he's calling you in the middle of the game. That, Harold that, sometimes had a hard time getting his priorities in order. <laughs> you know that, though. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> what makes you most proud of this winning streak? Touch on that. When you look back, well, what, what the makes The way you... these girls have turned out and boys have turned out to be the kind of citizens they are today has made me prouder than anything else I could have ever done. Yeah, I could tell that by you just briefly talking to Kathy a while ago. I, I know you are proud of her as she is you, and, and all of these girls feel exactly the same thing. Coach, you also – I was there tonight. You inducted into the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. We've already talked about the Mercer Hall of Fame, but you were inducted in the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. I know that had to mean a lot. That was a big deal. And uh, I just talk about that honor. Well, as I said, the first thing I said when I got up to speak was I was a pretty good coach, but I was a better judge of character. And uh, I've told the girls time and time again, I didn't get in the Hall of Fame. We got in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. It was a great honor. And uh, if it hadn't been for them and you and other people who nominated me and supported me, problem, Bruce, with the Hall of Fame is a lot of time it's a popularity contest. And, you know, it had been 35 years since I was street. And uh, all of a sudden they had this reunion for me. Ed Grismore came. And then all of a sudden there was this just avalanche to get me in the Hall of Fame. So it took me 35 years to get in. So needless to say, I'm still appreciative to all the people who wrote, who recommended and uh, I was amazed because I'd been nominated a couple of times. I didn't even get close. Right. But uh, it was it was because of the, the people that I coached and the people that went to the games and my friends that I got in. 
Well, if anybody deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, you had not only the character, but you had the you had the numbers. <laughs> there was no reason for you not to be in the Hall of Fame, and that was a well, that was a fun night. I'm gonna tell you, it, you were honored, but these girls were honored. That was a wonderful night. So, Coach, you're you're 85. Is that what you are? You're 85 years 85. old. 85. 85. What do you want people to remember about Norman Carter? You may live, I hope you live another 15 years and make it to 100. <laughs> but I don't know if anybody else is going to get you on here talking about it. I hope a lot of people do. But if not, I'll, what do you want people to remember about you? Well, I think maybe the, uh, the way my players have turned out is more important to me than anything else. And it's just good to see them being solid citizens, good members of the community. They've accomplished so much. And to me, that is a bigger, bigger thing than anything else. And of course, I'm proud of my children too. Everybody's that. Right. But, uh, you know, to be able to see Mark, Money, all them, and what they've accomplished in their lives is, and to know I had a small part in it, that's, that's probably what stands out to me more than anything else. And uh, I remember your dad, too. Bruce, I never will forget. I still tell this story on you. About the time you went with your daddy to see somebody out in the country, and y'all went in, and the old man was sick, and your daddy looked over, and he said, is that you? And she said, no, sir, it's his. <laughs> Oh, my. I still remember. Well, Coach, I, I want to say this. You were proud of those girls and the way they turned out, and and that's what you want people to remember about you. You develop people, not just basketball players. I think I can speak for all of them. You are their hero, and I want you to know that. I know that's true, and uh, I think you need to hear that, and I know you've heard it. But you need to hear it today. That is really true. You made and continue to make, as we broadcast this now, a heck of an impact on your world. You've done well, sir, and I just uh, got a ton of respect for you. That's all I can say. Well, I certainly appreciate, Bruce. That's the biggest compliment that I've had, and I, I think that's what that's what my life, I hope, has been about, is to try to have an impact on the people that I've come in contact with not all of them of course but the ones that i coached so well you've done it you've done it and it continues and we're going to continue it some more here with this podcast because it's going to get out well i'd just like to say how much i appreciate you taking the time to doing this i have thoroughly enjoyed it you're welcome and i'm honored to do it Tree Undertaker